I want to open by um, reading the passage and then we'll pray. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. Verses 23 through 25. Let's hear uh, God's Word. Exodus chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Uh, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit, and we pray in Christ Jesus' name, that you would speak to us today and that your Spirit would transform our hearts and make us more like Jesus. Father in heaven, please teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and equip us to do every good work you've prepared in advance for us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We are looking at the book of Exodus and um, talking about the the name of the Lord, the central theme of the the book. As you read through the book of Exodus, often you find God saying, I'm I'm doing this so so that Egypt might know, so that you might know that I am the Lord. And this morning I want to talk about God's covenant love. Uh, Don't let these three verses fool you. There's a lot to say uh, in these uh, verses, and so they were set apart for their own sermon. I want today to talk to you about uh, God's love in Christ and how we must seek to genuinely be saved by Him. Even if we are believers this morning, every single day we need uh, salvation from uh, sin and from patterns of sin and from temptation, and uh, many other uh, evils. Um, But um, I want to begin by just um, saying that, you know, a a good friend of mine one time told me that there is no problem that cannot be solved in life and in the church without a few funerals. Um, You think about that. For a little bit. Um, there's no problem in the church and in life that can't be solved without a few funerals. Now that's not always true, but uh, the king of Egypt in this passage died. Um, that was actually meant to be a little funny, but um, uh, you know, some of you will pick up on it this afternoon, um, and it'll be random and weird, but anyway, um, the king of Egypt here is apparently the same king that tried to kill uh, Moses when he was a baby and also tried to kill Moses when he was 40 years old after he had killed an Egyptian. And um, Moses uh, ran away. And so with his death, there is a hint 
that Moses could, in fact, be back again because the reason he ran from Egypt is now buried. And, um, but the, the new king, the new administration, uh, nothing changed. Uh, the Israelites were still under the hard slavery of the, of the Pharaoh and their groans and their cries for help and rescue uh, still continued. Because of God's love in Christ, we must seek to be genuinely saved by Him. Israel was crying. They were groaning. They were crying for help. They were crying for rescue. Uh, We long for leaders. We long for leaders in the civil realm as well as in the ecclesiastical realm, the church realm, uh, to give us rest from our harsh labor and from our heavy burdens. Uh, But we need... We need more. Um, Our labors and our hardships in life are rarely our biggest problem. Even the sins of other people are rarely our biggest problem in life. Our biggest problem, our main hardship in life is our very own sinful hearts. And we see this in the life of Israel. We see it in in our own lives. Um, Think, if you will, about about Israel. After they were delivered from Egyptian slavery, they entered the promised land. And at some point, they desired a king, just like the surrounding nations, even though they had the Lord as their king. They chose Saul, son of Kish, and And the Lord described Saul as a a taker. You may recall the passage in 1 Samuel 8, when God instructs Samuel to teach Israel how the king they desire will be. It is repeated throughout that short passage that uh, the king would take this, and he would take that, and he would take this, And uh, he would basically take the best that Israel had to offer for himself. And it even says in verse 17, He will take, and you, Israel, shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The crying in in 1 Samuel 8 is the same word used here in Exodus chapter 2. Um, The the crying uh, that Israel did in Egypt under Pharaoh would be repeated again in the promised land under Saul. Because our our biggest problem is, is, is our sinful hearts. And sadly, if we look back at Exodus 2, sadly, the the cries for rescue uh, that Israel gives here in chapter 2 foreshadow a a long history of uh, hypocrisy. Israel crying out for salvation from some oppressor, from some hardship, but not crying out uh, to be ruled by the true king. 
You know, it's one thing to want salvation from suffering and oppression, and quite another thing to want salvation in order to be ruled by the Deliverer. In order to come under the, uh, the true Liberator. How often in our lives we, we go into trouble, we get hardship and suffering, and we want deliverance, we want liberation. We want to be done with the hardship. We don't necessarily want to come under the authority of the Liberator and ask Him to rule us and to govern us. Um, but, but there really is no other way. So often we want salvation, but not sanctification. We want relief, but not real redemption. We want uh, rest, but we don't want um, rules. We want love, but not law. We want help, but not holiness. Grace, but not godliness. Um, We may cry to God, uh, but we might die by God if we don't, through Christ, live for God. When Jesus teaches His disciples and also us in Luke 18, the passage that was read, the importance of perseverance in prayer. He raises a very surprising question at the end of that parable. You have this widow and she's pleading with an unjust judge for, for justice against her adversary. And she eventually gets it because she wears him down. And, uh, and Jesus says that your heavenly Father is is ready to give justice to His children who have faith in Him. But then He says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Faith in God to deliver us from being abused by an adversary, by definition, is also faith to be now used by the Liberator for His purposes. What Israel needed, and what we all need, is a true King to deliver us from a deeper slavery. Jesus said, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this rest given by Christ is not only rescue from oppression, and labor and hardship, but it's rescue to something. It's rescue to be slaves for the purpose of a righteous ruler. This slavery um, that Jesus um, delivers us from, Jesus goes on to say, take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find soul rest when we take His yoke and learn His heart. Jesus' heart was displayed at the crucifixion. A meek and lowly heart displayed dead for the salvation of other people. Self-sacrificial love for others. 
The Lord never had in His mind when He saved us. He never thought to rescue Israel or us that we might live as we choose, but that we live as He commands. Do you and I really want to be free from daily sinful patterns? Not only from oppression and the hardship that others might bring into our life. Slavery to God through Christ Jesus is the only true freedom there is. It is why we were recreated for His good works. Jesus said, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth of which He speaks is not only His Word, but it's primarily Jesus Himself who is the truth. And how ironic is the answer of the Jews of Jesus' day when Jesus said this. They said, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Had they forgotten about Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and now Rome? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The freedom that God wants us to have is a freedom that was spoken of a long time ago by, by Zechariah. In the Gospel according to Luke, when Zechariah's lips were suddenly opened, he who did not believe the promise given by Gabriel and had to be silent until his son was born, Zechariah said these words at the birth of John the Baptist. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to, his, to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. In Luke chapter 1, verse 68 through 75, That's the type of freedom that God brings, is a freedom to serve the Lord without fear all of our days. Because of God's love in Christ, we must seek to genuinely be saved by Him. Not only salvation of our soul, but salvation every day from patterns of sin and wickedness in our own heart, as well as in the world around us. And because of God's love in Christ, we must seek to be genuine servants of Him, that we might serve Him, Zechariah said, without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. In Exodus chapter 2, we see the foundation for this kind of service, this kind of consecration to the liberator uh, found in uh, verse 24 and 25. We, we hear in rapid movement, and God heard, and God remembered, and God saw, and God knew. Some translations remove the 
and at the beginning of verse 25, but there is most assuredly an and there in Hebrew, and it, uh, removing it takes away from the effect of and God heard, and God remembered, and God saw, and God knew. God's all over this. That's the point. When God heard the cries of His people, what motivated Him into action was the fact that He Himself had made a covenant. He had made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. What motivated God to action, what motivates God now into action, is that God has made promises. And God always keeps His promises. His own reputation moves Him into action. When God's people in exile were looking for a second exodus, God says in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse, I believe, 22, He says in Ezekiel, Thirty-six. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of My holy name, which they had profaned. They were in exile because of idolatry. They were in exile because of sin. And we'll find that Israel, when they were in Egypt, they did not consider the wondrous works of, of Yahweh. They weren't really paying attention to Him. Um, and so God acts. His first, his first initiator is Himself. His first reason for acting is Himself. He acts because why does God love us? He loves us because God is love. It's His nature. It's His being. It's who He is. And so he's moved into action because he has made promises. He's the one who has created. He's the one who promised long ago a seed of the woman would come. He's the one who promised to Abraham, I'll make a great nation. So it's his own reputation that moves him to act. But those same promises, that same covenant, that same love is what's supposed to move us to act. God and us are supposed to be motivated by the same thing. God is motivated by Himself. We're to be motivated by God to act because God is love. God has made promises. God has made a covenant. And that's what's supposed to move us into action. Israel had nothing to commend them to God. It says in the book of Psalms, chapter 106, Verse 7, it says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of His steadfast love. And we also, in the 21st century, have nothing to commend us to God. Titus said, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God is moved by His own mercy, by His own loving kindness. God's covenant love constrains Him, and it's what constrains us. And the emphasis here, as you look at verse 24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew The emphasis here is God's promise of bringing His people into a land. Look at chapter 3, if you will. Verse 7, Then the Lord said, He's speaking to Moses at this point, I have surely seen the affliction of My people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering." And then at that point, he promises to come down. It's often apocalyptic language you find throughout Scripture of of God coming down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up to a land that he promised. And, um, And so when God says that he remembers them and when he he knows their suffering and he knows them and he sees them, God's eyes are on His people. His eyes were on His people. Then His eyes are on you today. God knows your sufferings. He sees you in your trouble. And so God's mercy and His love is not is His first initiation, but it's never to be simply separated from the object of His affection. It's not only God's love, His intrinsic love, but it's also the object of that love. It's also His people in their misery, in their suffering, that those two things are brought together. That God is moved by His love, but He's also moved by His love to place that love upon objects of mercy. The Bible um, teaches in, in Psalm 105, it says, for He remembered His holy promise. And this is with respect to the Exodus. It says, for, I, for He remembered His holy promise. Uh, Psalm 105, verse 42 and following. He remembered His holy promise and Abraham His servant. So He brought His people out with joy, His chosen ones with singing, and He gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. And so when God remembers His people and hears His people and sees His people and knows His people, it's with respect to bringing them out to a particular place. And then we have to think in terms of why they were in that place. What were they supposed to be? What were they supposed to do in that promised land? In Psalm 105 it says that He gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep His statutes and observe His 
laws. And so God's, God's hearing His people and hearing us and, 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 and remembering His people and remembering us, His seeing His people and seeing us, His, His knowing His people and knowing us, come with an aim, come with a goal, that God is this way, so that we might be His sons, His daughters, His children, that we might live in holy covenant life with Him. That was the whole intent of God bringing His people out of bondage. It wasn't simply to bring them out and say, okay, I, I got you out, you know, have a blast. See you, see you in a little bit. See you when you die. I set you free. Have fun. <laughs> well, the only kind of real fun you can have is in communion with God. That's really true, you know. We don't often buy into that. Look at what God says in Exodus 29. Verse, verse 45 and 46. Exodus 29, verse 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Why? That I might dwell among them. God wants Emmanuel. He wants God with us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants communion. He wants Eden back. He wants to walk with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to be with us. He wants sanctuary. He wants us to dwell with Him for the purpose that we might be used to be a blessing in the nations. Look at what it says in Exodus 19. All of these things are being foreshadowed in, in this particular passage in chapter Chapter 2 in Exodus 19, a very familiar passage. Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. That's what God wants to do, to bring you to Himself. That's marriage. That's covenant love. Jeremiah says that. That he brought his people out. He was a husband to his people. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Those words are the same words that Peter spoke to the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that God brings us out to bring us to Himself that He might then commission us out into this world to be a blessing to the nations. It says here in chapter 2 of Exodus that God remembered. You, can't, you cannot read this verse without thinking of Noah. This, this chapter, chapter 2, began with Moses' ark. The little basket, the little ark of Moses. Same word used only of Noah in the Hebrew Bible. And now Moses is bringing in a new beginning. And remember how it went down in the days of Noah in chapter 8 of Genesis. It says, God remembered Noah. <laughs> the point is not that God had forgotten him and he was floating around on the earth 
And, he, and God said, oh, I forgot all about Noah. <laughs> God finally remembered him. And Noah's like, we were waiting. What was wrong with you? Where'd you go? I was, in the, I was, in, I was, in, I was on Jupiter in, in the Bahamas. I was away for a while. But I, I, I remember, though. I'm back now. No, that's not the point. The point is that God remembers. It means, it means he loves. He's got you on his mind. He remembers in the sense to start something brand new with you. And that's what happened with Noah. God made a brand new beginning with, with Noah. And God intends to make a brand new beginning with the nation. That's the point. He remembered them. He remembered them that He might use them to bring, to bring in a new beginning. That they might be His treasured possession among all nations. That they might be used to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus is God's Son. And He suffered a lot worse than Israel did. And the Bible says about Jesus that that uh, when He was in the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications just like Israel did. Jesus is the true Israel. And Jesus was offering up prayers and supplications when He was contemplating the oppression of death, the oppression of our own sin upon Him. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And his sufferings, reverently received, equipped him to be a priest for others. That was the whole point of the suffering in the wilderness that Israel was going through, is that God might equip them to know how to deal with hardship in this life and to be a blessing to others. And that's the purpose of hardship and suffering in our own life, that God might equip us to be ministers to other people who are suffering and going through affliction and trial, that we might be comforters of those in hardship through the power of Christ and His Gospel. Jesus was not abandoned. Jesus also was remembered, as was Noah, as was Joseph. You remember how Joseph, a picture of Christ, was in the pit and he was forgotten by the cupbearer. But then, when Pharaoh had dreams, the cupbearer had a V8 moment and he remembered Joseph. And Joseph was brought out. And Joseph was used to bring salvation. Jesus was never forgotten. The grave could not hold him. He was brought out of the grave in order that he might give us grace to serve him. And Jesus is seen as well-pleasing by His Father. Just as God saw Israel, His eye was on them. God's eye was on Christ. And God's eye is on His people always for good. Listen to some of these verses from uh, the Bible with respect to, to Israel and now to us. Uh, it says, the Lord knows... Um, uh, how we are treated. We are the apple of His eye, according to Deuteronomy 32.10. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, uh, God said, He who touches you touches the apple of My eye. Uh, the Lord says about His, his people, um, about His temple, we are now His temple. It says, I have consecrated this house that you have built 
by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Um, When Israel experienced their second exile, when they were brought out of Babylon, God says this to them, I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. In Jeremiah chapter 24, God's eyes are on His people. God sees you in all that you do. His eyes are on you for good. And, and, and God, God, God keeps His eyes on you. He watches over you. There's never a time in your life when you have struggle or trouble that God is not watching you. His eyes are on you. And God's eyes are on you for good. Can the promises of God spoken to Israel in the Old Testament not be true of the church today? Of course not. God forbid. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. God's eyes are on His people for good. You have to know that deep in your soul when trouble hits, when suffering comes, when affliction comes, you've got to know God is watching me. God knows what's going on. When I go to Him in prayer, I'm not informing Him of something. I'm casting my cares on someone who cares for me more than I even care for myself. You remember when, when, when Saul of Tarsus ravaged the church? Much like Pharaoh was ravishing the Israelites. And, and Jesus confronted him. said, Saul, Saul. He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? That God is that intimately involved in the sufferings of His people that your sufferings are His sufferings. Your difficulties are His difficulties. He owns them for Himself. And that should bring strong encouragement to the heart of a believer. Knowing that your Father in Heaven through Jesus Christ owns your sufferings and difficulties and your hardships And He hears your cry. He remembers you with an intent to make use of all of your suffering. John Piper once wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Suffering. Or he preached a sermon, one or the other. I can't remember, but it's a good word. Don't waste your suffering. Don't complain and grumble and groan. (laughs) Give thanks to God. Count it all joy. You know, James wouldn't have said that if uh, he didn't mean it. When God uh, intends to bring His people into the promised land, as it says in chapter 3, verse 7, as we looked, um, God knows His people. That brings us to the final point. God knows His people. You know, um, that can be comforting. It can also be uh, um, somewhat anxious. You know, in, in Amos, I think it was Amos chapter 3, verse 2, Uh, God said through the prophet, you only have I known of all the nations. Um, Does that mean that God didn't know anybody else? Um, Where did all these Gentiles come from? Where did they (laughs) No. He says, you only have I known, but then then you have to be careful because it says, therefore I will punish you for your iniquities. And what is it saying? It's saying that God is a good father. He takes time to discipline his children. Sometimes hardship makes you 
makes you discouraged. And the Bible says endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you like a son. He's trying to grow you up. He's trying to make you beautiful. He's trying to grow your character. And so the fact that God knows us is the fact that is, is, is synonymous with God loving us and setting His love on us. For whom He did foreknow, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Paul said in the book of Galatians, you have, you have known God better, yet you have been known by God. And His purpose in that is for, this, for these people to experience true freedom. Freedom is doing what God called us to do in order that we might be daily conformed to the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of freedom, is that we be free to live as Christ in this life. Jesus said it like this in closing. He said, I will make your name known to them so that I might be in them and that your love might be in them. That was God's intent in knowing His people back in Exodus. It's God's intent in knowing us today. Is that Christ would live in us, the hope of glory, and that God's love would live in us. And that would be what drives us in all that we do and live. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we thank You for Your covenant love. We thank You that that covenant love comes with uh, the good wholesome discipline of a, of a good Father. And it also comes with the goodness of a God who sees us in our suffering and trouble and desires to bring us out of bondage and slavery. But to bring us into a new, blessed bondage, which is actually freedom, a bondage to Christ. As Paul said, I am a slave of Christ as Moses was a slave of Yahweh, and we are called to be slaves of the Righteous One and slaves of righteousness. God, help us to own that identity that You don't deliver us just to do what we choose, but You deliver us to do what You choose. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.